was gonna clean my room until I got high. <laughs> I was gonna get up and find the broom, but then I got high. My room is still messed up, and I know why. Why, man? Yeah, because I got high. Because I got high. Hello and welcome back to Callum and David's Any Requests. This is, of course, our Patreon-requested podcast where you, the listener, can donate £5 a month and get us to do a podcast on absolutely anything you want. That is absolutely right. It feels like a little while since you've uttered those words. It does. It's only been two weeks, but as we mentioned on the previous episode, uh, it's been quite a um, a whirlwind of a, of a fortnight because uh, we've been in the process of moving house. We have indeed, and we have now moved house and are coming to you from a completely different house. We are. About 150 yards away from the previous <laughs> house. It's a whole three streets away. Um, three streets away. Um, which which made the move a lot easier. Um, shout out to uh, the wonderful uh, Claire Murphy and Shane McDade. Uh, wonderful people. Helped us move, our very dear friends. Um, which, by the way, is in the guidelines that you're allowed to help people move house before any of you dobbers mm-hmm. in. To... Although technically it was mm-hmm. just before the lockdown. Well. It was before the lockdown as well. But still, true. it was on, still... you know... Under tier two regulations at the time, it was all above board, sir. I love how much of an expert you are because of your work and education Mm. that Mm. you have read these guidelines so often. I have to read them like every week because they keep changing. Love it. Um, But we're not here to talk about that today. We're not. We're not. We are here to uh, fulfil the request of um, our lovely friend Tristan. Um, I think this is his fourth, fifth request yeah, he's, now. he's been he's been with us since the beginning bless him um getting us to do things like the hitman's bodyguard and future sport and just he's just having a, yeah, a right all old laugh stupid ones it? that's yeah. normally tristan but this one seems like a really legitimate interesting subject matter yeah and hopefully we can do that some kind of justice well so the um this uh request he's put in came about because he said he Finally got round to listening to our, our Secret 60s one, the MK Ultra Charles Manson. Well, you've got to put some time aside for that. <laughs> yeah. Because it's about four days long. Yeah. Uh, and and he said um, that he really enjoyed listening to it and that he forgot that we were his friends and it was just like listening to a nice radio programme. So oh, lovely. he wanted to do something a little bit more serious and a little bit more kind of, um, yeah, research-based and, and a bit broader than just kind of picking a film, picking a TV show. So... He has asked us um, to look at basically kind of America's sort of troubled history uh, with the criminalization and kind of recent legalization of cannabis. Um, Mm. This comes from uh, when he was uh, in America some years ago. He was saying he went and did a tour of uh, William Randolph Hearst's mansion, who, for those of you who don't know, is um, early 20th century media magnate kind of prototype Rupert Murdoch. Um, if anyone's seen Citizen Kane, that's who Charles Foster Kane is based on. It's, it's essentially an unofficial kind of uh, uh, biography, uh, uh, scathing kind of takedown of Hearst, um, uh, that film. Um, so it turned out that when Tristan was on this tour that he discovered that William Randolph Hearst was kind of one of the people that was most influential in the criminalization and the prohibition of cannabis um and discovered all this stuff about it and he wanted us to have a little look at that and talk about it and then kind of yeah talk about it 
in a wider historical context up to the present day and what that's meant for cannabis in America. Which has been really interesting. Um, I think it's one of those things growing up in the UK, we were talking mm-hmm. about it, that there's a slightly different relationship that we have with cannabis as a country yeah. to America and also America being 50 countries in one yeah. uh, state by state. There's a lot of kind of confusion and law difference and also a very different uh, checkered past um, when you look at things like the Jim Crow laws and yeah. all of these kind of things that we might learn about and civil rights and stuff at school or touch upon. But never really did I uh, understand how embedded uh, cannabis prohibition has been in uh in a lot of the social justice struggle uh of america Um, absolutely i mean i think over here the overriding sense is one of confusion because we were just talking before we started recording most people in this country are never really quite sure these days where it lies because when we were growing up in the in the 1990s it was definitely very much a class b and then as you said david blunkett under the blair administration took it down to a class c mm-hmm. and it was looking like it was going to go the way of you know places like holland and other places in europe that that have, have legalized it um and then yeah brown kind of took it back up to a b and then yeah. cameron was flirting with the idea of doing something with it and now of course Rhonda boris who's quite kind of staunchly anti-drug so it will probably remain b for a a decent amount of time which is odd also because i think that certainly people in our generation or, or i should say he's not anti-drugs at all because he's done more cocaine than yeah, half he, of Whitehall, he's but... pro-drugs but anti uh ex- anti-publicly <laughs> yes, being into yeah. drugs but yes he's uh he's snorted the alps during most of the 90s um uh, alleged alleged I mean, well, yeah, I suppose. Got to cover ourselves. Sorry, our legally. corporate sponsors are going to pull us otherwise. <laughs> exactly. Um, oh no, wait, Tristan is our only corporate sponsor, so that's yeah. fine. Um, no, yeah, you, you're absolutely right. Um, I think there's something I, I, I want to touch upon later, but a lot of the reasons why it was reclassified was to do with the onset of skunk and the strength um, of THC within cannabis strains on the street, um, and that's something that. Um, that is definitely worth touching upon as we kind of go through our little history, our potted history, pardon the hun, pun, of uh, of cannabis. Yes. So, um, essentially, you go back to the 19th century and, be, well, I mean, beyond. I mean, for hundreds and hundreds of years, uh, hemp was being widely used over the world, especially in America. It was coming over from Asia. Uh, it was being used in manufacturing and industry and, and all these kind of things. And, and it was being it was being smoked starting to be in north america but predominantly coming from mexico it was, it was very yeah. big mexico south america um used very kind of liberally recreationally um and then these north american companies started to get wind of the properties of hemp um because it is an was, incredibly versatile material right yeah apparently you can make uh, over five thousand different products using hemp i mean i knew it was versatile but five thousand I mean, I think I associate it mostly with, with rope because my granddad, uh, as a sailor, mm. um, had, you know, always obsessed with ropes and knots and yeah. used to talk about the kind of the way hemp rope would stain your hands. And mm. like, it was kind of uh, part of that culture. And he never really made the link between hemp and, and the evil weed and cannabis and all that. Yeah. Um, um, uh, but yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, hemp oil uh, hemp clothing you know plastics I mean, plastics um so 
this all really kind of kicked off in about 1896 when Rudolf Diesel, the inventor of, <laughs> funny enough, the diesel engine, <laughs> um, started to realise that you could probably power vehicles using hemp oil um, right. in some kind of way. And uh, you had um, uh, DuPont, uh, DuPont Petrochemical Company, um, who were financially backed by uh, the tr- U.S. Treasury Secretary in the early 20th century? Which just feels ridiculous. Andrew Mellon. That yeah. happens all the time. Um, no, no, no less now in our own Tory government. Well, well, I mean, it's actually even more explicit than that. Whilst he was uh, Treasury Secretary, not only was he backing Dupont, he was also the owner of Gulf Oil Corp. Um, those two companies, of which in 1913 merged with Henry Ford and uh, became General Motors. Right. So already you're starting to see that there's this conflict here um, because you've got an oil company and an automobile company who heavily rely financially on petrol suddenly hearing that this thing called hemp is is coming up. Um, and then um, 1937-ish, um, which is an important year that we'll come to again later on, but um, that's when William Randolph Randolph Hearst comes on the scene, and uh, Hearst is an awful um, uh, xenophobe and um, open racist, open racist, um, very anti-Mexican, um, which stems from the fact that Pancho Villa, uh, the famous kind of Mexican sort of liberator of the poor mm. um, and freedom fighter, he reclaimed eight hundred thousand acres of land. Uh, that Hearst had stolen from Mexican peasants and reclaimed right. it for the peasants. Um, and Hearst, in retaliation, started creating propaganda about marijuana. Now, marijuana was a word that was co-opted by Hearst to mean cannabis. It doesn't mean cannabis at all. It's a slang word for cigarettes in Mexican. Right. And it was used in um, uh, a, this victory song for Pancho Villa. Um and and he took that and started using it in his newspapers, which he owned. Not only did he own the newspapers, but he also owned the logging firm that made the paper. And was that the land log? Right. Okay. So yeah. there's a logging connection here in terms of the eight hundred thousand acres. Exactly. Yes. So this is at the moment. This is spite. This is. Yeah. I'm angry at Pancho Villa uh, uh, and the reclam- reclamation of land that I've stolen. And so now I'm going to find a way to demonise Mexican people at the moment. Yes. Um, so at the same time, when du- uh, 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 sorry, slightly earlier, when DuPont was, um, uh, became General Motors, that's when they started developing uh, gasoline additives to turn trees into paper. Right. So again, hemp can make paper. Um, and... and and it's much more sustainable and um and it, it takes an awful less lot water doesn't it it takes Temp. an awful less lot water and william randolph hearst was terrified that his logging company and it therefore paper making company um and uh, you've got the oil and the petroleum companies worried about so everything he's everything's involved tied up in paper yeah everything he's involved with is is um financially um, very precarious if the um, this kind of call and this growing um, realization of the properties of hemp 
grows and grows and becomes a, a, a viable um, rival okay. to these oil and plastics companies. Um, so you've got a propaganda campaign starting in the early 1930s, led by early to mid 1930s, led by Hearst, and then um, you get a guy called Harry Anslinger. Um, in 1932, is made the fed uh, the the head of the Federal Bureau of Narcotics, which is which is a new thing, at a this new time. a new thing. And bear in mind, before this point, um, cannabis hadn't been deemed a narcotic right. at all. Um, and Hearst lobbied uh, to get it made a narcotic um, about a year or two before this bureau was created. It's important to point out that Harry Anslinger. It's the nephew of the Treasury Secretary Andrew Mellon that I mentioned earlier. <laughs> right. So, so there's it, a, a real all family link here as well. It's all connected. Harry Anslinger, also a notorious racist and xenophobe. Um, and in 1937, cannabis is officially added uh, uh, to prohibited narcotics. Hemp's marginalised. You get something called the um, uh, uh, Marijuana Tax Act. Which, which basically results in the complete criminalization of cannabis uh, and marijuana. And hemp is remains legal, but under very, very strict circumstances about how it's made, what it's made, and it's under constant scrutiny. And basically, any company making hemp is, is under so, many, so much legislature that it's impossible to make money. Right. Um, and funnily enough, in 1937... Just after this happens, a couple of months later, DuPont, the company we've talked about a couple of times, file a patent for nylon. Right. Which... The synthetic fibre. The fiber. synthetic fibre. So it's, it's, it's all about profit margins. The whole reason why there was a demonisation of cannabis in the early 1930s, the whole reason why it was prohibited um, in the 1930s, uh, had nothing to do with the dangers of it. It was... It was a uh, racially motivated um, uh, way of um, basically kind of killing two birds with one stone. I was going to say it's both, isn't it? It is. It's it's, it's one. It's it's um, creating this uh, uh, mistrust and this hatred and this xenophobia uh, towards Mexicans and towards um, uh, African Americans as well, mm-hmm. um, which we'll come on to in a minute. Um, but also it was because their profits were being really threatened by this amazing sustainable product because um uh actually uh hemp produces about the same amount of cellulose as only four acres of trees wow okay yeah so you're talking about a lot less land that's needed less land less water yeah and when you look at anyone uh, interested in kind of um you know, environmental studies or looking into, um, I know myself, I've got a bit more interested in the environment and climate change. Mm. One of the biggest problems with agricultural farming is the massive uh, over kind of expenditure of water as a resource. Yeah. Right. Um, And so also the very idea of taxing water and making that private companies, that was a lot to do with agriculture as well. Yeah. Um, So if you have a resource that doesn't need that, then all the investment you've made and infrastructure you've built around harnessing natural resources is going to be, uh, you're not going to be able to capitalise on that as much either. 
Exactly, exactly. Um, so yeah, so that's how in 1937 we get to the point of the prohibition of cannabis. I, I, I also just want to add as a side note, because I find this fascinating in the research as well, that linked in with that, you talk about the temperance movement and the prohibition of alcohol, mm -hmm. that there is a theory that part of the uh, driving force behind the prohibition of alcohol was also because Rudolf Diesel had worked out how to create an engine that was powered on ethanol. Yeah. And actually, I think most modern day engines actually can run yeah. on ethanol as well, yeah. um, which is, uh, again, much less pollutive yeah. in terms of uh, uh, carbon emissions yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Um, but it just shows how much the whole world really is is at the behest of, of big auto and big oil um, and big pharma. It was something really interesting um, about Han uh, Harry Anslinger as well, uh, in that when we were watching um, a great documentary uh, that we'll plug a few times um, in this podcast by Fab Freddy Five, um, he talks, uh, it's called Grass is Greener. Um, he talks quite a lot about the fact that Harry Anslinger was kind of one of the first people in American politics to publicly harness the idea of what we now might refer to as fake news. I kind of hate saying it because it reminds me of a certain individual who's a master of fake news, um, whilst at the same time accusing everybody of uh, producing it. Yeah. Um, so with this whole idea of why did, why did this marijuana tax act pass? Mm -hmm. Because if no one's got an issue with it, there's no widespread fear around cannabis. Why did this act pass? And apparently one of the reasons was because no one recognised the cannabis that they might be recreationally smoking as marijuana. Yes. Because no one had called it that yeah. until um, you had uh, this kind of drive of propaganda. And I just thought, that's genius, isn't it? Yeah. But you also see that all the time in politics. An act that has often sounds like it's the opposite of what it's actually doing, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and yeah. you, you see that all the time when it comes to policing women's bodies in the States yeah. or um, or in Northern Ireland, for example, yeah. and taxes, you know, freedom tax is normally going to be a, a, a limit in your freedom of some way, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, yeah, because, yeah, if, if, if you know, if, if you're a, a, a cannabis smoker in America at that time, you'd probably read that. And because and, and remember, this word was only just starting to be pushed um, by Hearst newspapers and things like that. You'd be like, oh, what? attacks on mexican cigarettes yeah if you, even if you knew what that word was or you just go i don't know what that word is nothing to do with me you know so yeah very very clever and also the timing if you look into how they pushed that act through they chose very specific time of year where they knew that a lot of the house would 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 not be there and it got pushed through and 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 they deliberately orchestrated it so things other things would be happening in the senate so that they could get the minimum amount of people like it was really underhand stuff to actually get that through because it meant it was under like the minimum amount of scrutiny possible um so it was very quietly and quickly passed now following that act there was a kind of reaction to quite a lot of people and in 1940 uh you had the laguardia report yes which so that's 80 years ago 80 years ago which was uh, uh, a collection of yeah. scientists coming together. Say, look, what he, I believe he was, he was the governor of New York at the time. I, I think, think so. Yeah. Um, I, Either yeah. governor or a senator. Um, uh, but he commissioned this report of uh, lots of kind of very uh, well-respected um, scientists who put together a report saying that actually there was no real problem with cannabis at all and that actually recreational cannabis can be quite positive for you. Yeah. Um, now, obviously, this is long before tobacco commissions and things like this. Yeah. 
Um, but even then, under the scrutiny, uh, there was really no no opposition to it from the scientific community whatsoever. And yet still, mm-hmm. this had been gone into illegality and the uh, claims were thoroughly rejected by the US government, both Senate yeah. and Congress. Um, there was something else uh, that kind of watching the grass is greener one of the great things um about uh fab 35 is that he is a fantastic music historian yeah and he brings in um this kind of potted history and then says right now now look at how cannabis is actually being used Mm -hmm. in the states where can you find it culturally what does it mean um, and Fab Freddy Five, the son of a fantastic uh, jazz drummer, he'd worked with Duke Ellington um, and uh, lots of kind of amazing jazz artists. Um, uh, kind of think of a famous jazz artist uh, from Harlem yeah. in New- or New York, and he- he's played with them. And then also himself uh, going in and being a huge influential figure in mm-hmm. the world of hip hop. So he's looking back at this and um, talks a lot about how actually the casual use of cannabis that was going on uh from the 20s and 30s during the period of prohibition and beyond the uh marijuana tax act was mainly within as you say minority ethnics including mexicans but also people of color yeah um and you actually had harry anslinger standing up and saying ah yeah the heavy use of cannabis is going to be found in places like detroit michigan um naming kind of famously uh, yeah, black New, states. New Orleans, or, El Paso, Philadelphia. Yeah. I think he said, yeah. Which, I mean, all states that are very fresh in minds of anyone who's recently been following the election. Yeah. Because these were all states that were demonised by the current president mm-hmm. as being fraudulent voters, extra criminal activity. Yeah. And yet also all states uh, that he lost in. Yeah. Um, so it's very interesting seeing this kind of rhetoric of... Um, of, of, of the people behind the Marijuana Tax Act and the anti-drug campaign or war on drugs campaign as it becomes later and how that is paralleled so quickly with the rhetoric of literally the sitting president of the US yeah. today. I don't know if that struck you in the oh, same. Oh, hugely. When, yeah, when they're talking about the way that, the, you know, and I mentioned at the start of the podcast, you know, Hearst was Murdoch. And I, and, and mm. I think when you look at what Hearst and Anslinger were doing and you look at what Trump and Fox News do, um, in and it, it's, it's yeah, it's that absolute gaslighting of being almost, you know, almost really glibly transparent in, in, in how obvious it is yeah. that, that, the corruption is there and they're not really trying to hide it that well whilst demonizing um others and and Mm. trying to come off as the pious ones um and and it's that kind of contempt for you talking about this in another context we talk about dominic cummings was a bit of news a lot this week the other day you know and you were saying it's that 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 thing that he has this absolute contempt for the intelligence of the general public Mm. that that i think you see so much from the trump administration you see it so much from uh uh fox news and 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 murdoch's outlets and things like that and and like when they lie they do it with with complete faith that the that the public will swallow it and if they're called out they're kind of outraged by the the um how how dare yeah. uh, the 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 general public get uppity about this and and question us yeah um there's definitely a weird resentment there yeah and uh, yeah and 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 as you say it was very with anslinger very 
obvious what he was trying to do without without doing it and that struck a chord in terms of what 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 you talk about about trump's you know uh incitement um of of hatred and of racism um in his tweeting and in who he chooses to support without ever being over being overtly publicly racist you know i was saying to you the other day when we were having a debate about why why people would vote for him and i said well actually on paper you know uh talking about john lyden's interview on good morning america and what uh johnny rotten of the sex pistols if you didn't know and 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 how bizarre it is that he voted for trump and you know uh morgan kind of said but is trump this massive racist and lyden said well look joe biden was the one that went on a television show and said if you vote for trump you're not really black and he mm-hmm. was like point to me anything that trump has said that's overtly as racist as that and it is quite difficult because he knows what he's doing with his tweets and 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 what to say you know what he says is i'm the least racist president since abraham lincoln i've done more for mm-hmm. black people since abraham lincoln that's what he says so therefore if you're just someone that's going on face value of what people say you go oh out of those two statements then trump must be the less racist one but mm-hmm. it's about what's not said and that's the same as what anslinger was doing he's just naming cities but everyone is going to be going oh wait a minute what's the connection with those cities oh they're high population minority ethnic groups therefore they must be the ones that are bringing weed in right and and he's done all that but absolving himself of ever having someone around to call him racist because he's not said anything on paper that's you know uh uh racist can, can be yeah and it, there's nothing that would stand up in a kind of in a court of law yeah. ironically uh to use that analogy so we have this demonization of cannabis uh, across the united states it seems like it's gone from like zero to no one even really cares and it's not a massive problem to yeah. this is the most evil thing in the world and it's awful and the reason why that is kind of happening seems to be mainly driven by kind of majority uh greed and corporate greed right and corruption yeah but at the same time it's marginalizing and racializing uh and criminalizing uh huge groups of people and building and that divide uh in cities where there isn't actually uh a huge association between people of color and drugs um especially at this stage but what we have with Fab Freddy Five offering this kind of musical lens and this musical musicology, yeah. um, he talks about the fact that jazz is kicking off, right? Yeah. You have incredible jazz coming out of Harlem and you're talking about Louis Armstrong. Yeah. Cab Calloway. Um, Cab Calloway, uh, Thelonious Monk. Yeah. These are not just great jazz artists. These are world-changing, you know, uh, uh, what's the word? Trailblazers. Yeah. Um, in terms of in terms of influence, I think actually uh, Fab Freddy Five says there's there's probably no no jazz musician more influential than Louis Armstrong, and everyone yeah. thinks of him for Wonderful World, but actually yeah. you can think of so much more. Charlie the Bird Parker, um, uh, John Coltrane, mm-hmm. um, uh, Miles Davis, all of them jazz artists, and all of them great advocates and users of cannabis. Yeah, um, much preferring it to kind of the alcohol, which we might. Have associate with the jazz age partly because of that Hollywood retelling of Prohibition and jazz and jive being slightly underground and a bit naughty but really on reality actually this is kind of pretty standard and okay uh, for most people in New York yeah Uh, unfortunately the 37 marijuana tax is catching up and gathering speed really quickly yeah so 
when you have this criminalization, you have people like Louis Armstrong writing to governors saying, can you offer me some kind of license? Yeah. Because I can't go around being paranoid of being arrested because I've got a joint in my pocket. Yeah. Uh, when I'm constantly going in and out of recording studios and jazz clubs and yeah. going about my daily life. Yeah. You know, everyone's telling me I'm a national treasure, but at yeah. the same time, I could get arrested at any moment. And I mean, you know, it's it, it was so um, um, open and accepted that you had people like Cab Calloway doing songs called like The Reefer Man and things like, you know, yeah. you, you, you there was all these jazz songs that were just openly talking about uh smoking reefer getting high and 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 so it was not yeah, a single and, one of them i could i find had the word marijuana in it funnily yeah, enough funny funny that isn't uh, it until at least after 37 yeah and and also uh the fact that jive as mm. something that my mum used to always claim that she couldn't dance but she was a really good jiver um i don't know who told her that um mum if you're listening i love you but you know Jive is probably not something she should do uh, outside of a drunken wedding. Um, and but the word jive itself was slang for cannabis before it was slang for a dance or yeah. a style of music. Yeah. So the actual word jive being adopted by so many kind of mainstream white America and yeah. white Europeans and being kind of exported all over the world as this new sensation was a word that was that was actually meant cannabis. Yeah. Um, come on, everybody, let's jive. Is get together, let's get together and high, get high. Yeah. So to have that so synonymous and yet have it so removed from from jazz. Yeah. Um, you start to be having having this kind of issue. Um, and I think this is kind of pre sixties as well. So we're getting into fast forwarding up to kind of like fifties America. Yeah. Now you have a lot of white progressives in coastal in eastern states like Sorry, New York, and also also I just want to because I, I think it's important to I don't I, I, I don't think you can hammer this home enough that that you you've got to remember that these are people that are already so hugely marginalised you know that they can't go into the same restaurants they're going to the same restrooms yeah. as white but you know when you're talking about the Jim Crow laws and things like that. And now they're going. What? And now you're going to take our weed? Yeah. Like seriously? Like is like isn't all the other stuff you're doing to us enough? Like, and I think uh, Fab Freddy Five really got across Louis Armstrong's total just exasperation and confusion with this. I've overcome know? all these barriers, yeah. and I've still managed to actually get a legitimate career and be and be loved the world over. Yeah, and I can't exist and have a state of sense of belonging or freedom yeah. in my own t- town walking down yeah. the street playing a trumpet and the bizarre thing is that it's nothing to do with the drug or the properties of the drug it's yeah. to do with the fact that cannabis creates hemp which makes paper and potentially a, a, a plastics and alternative oil and you go well then, then why is then what... how have we got to the illegal like it's it's so it's so bizarre that it has nothing to do with the drug. It is. It is completely bizarre. Um, yeah, I, 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 and utterly kind of uh, anger making. But um, I think this is only going to get kind of worse as we go through. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think when when we look at the state of the world in terms of social justice uh, and race relations, particularly in the states this is going to go some way of um of explaining just how deep rooted that is yeah. and how often uh throughout history almost entirety of the history of the states um the the lives of black folk and, and people of color 
have always been put as secondary kind of dehumanized in order to foot the corporate bill of of american uh, power yeah um and this is something we're going to see an awful awful lot going through so you have this happening in the 50s you have a few white progressives starting to go to jazz bars yeah so you have black music uh being yeah. adopted by by white folks going yeah. to black parts of town going to harlem for yeah. example and you get the creation of beat poetry which is almost entirely kind of influence wouldn't exist certainly without the jive and the jazz movement yeah and so you've got jack kerouac you've got alan ginsburg um you've got white um uh progressive liberal um uh anti anti anti-vietnam war um poets coming out and starting to recreationally use cannabis that at this point had really kind of been um uh predominantly used in the african-american and the mexican communities right um and and suddenly there's a there's a change of of um kind of opinion of it in how it's portrayed in in the media and things like that because now it's becoming co-opted by white people yeah suddenly it seemed to be a little bit less you know and 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 well there's that wind change starting in terms of the going from the 50s into the 60s you have counterculture and you have the fight against that right which is funnily enough what uh, tristan listening to our look at counterculture and and the secret 60s yeah you have this absolute kind of war on on drugs being used as a cloak to talk about the racial divide between either hippies or black panthers and separating these groups of people that were socializing together but that didn't work um so yeah now you have white people and not just white uh kind of white folk generally but also prominent people alan ginsburg and jack kerouac might be left liberal uh, beat poets who mm-hmm. smoke cannabis but they're really effing popular right yeah, yeah. so you can't fight that yeah. sometimes you can't fight that yeah um and something we, we that that kind of keep kept coming up in our research for this is that as soon as white people decide to do something on mass yeah and a few rich white folk decide to do something on mass yeah you start to see a change in legislation yeah so as you were saying this is where we start to see a kind of a uh, bit of a a, a, a sea change yeah. in terms of how the government talk about cannabis, right? Yeah. But we've still got all this hangover of cannabis being something that is demonised. Now, we didn't touch upon some of the things uh, that were being pushed by um, Anslinger and um, and your, your Citizen Kane guy. Uh, yeah, Hurst. Hurst, sorry. Uh, more importantly, Hurst, should I say. But this is um, articles and uh, papers that are being flooded into the media mm-hmm. of uh, people going on violent rampages, crazed, driven insane, and driven to violence because of yeah. because of cannabis. Now you might look at that and go, "Well, this is obviously nonsense," because yeah. anyone who's ever been near cannabis knows yeah. that it's not famous for those things. And and yes, um, uh, articles and things like that. But more importantly, films, movies. Um, the most famous one being Reefer Madness, which was a mm. 1936 um, black and white propaganda film funded by the Hearst Corporation. And it's hilarious. It's known as one of the worst movies of all time. Like it's, <laughs> it is so the levels of propaganda and, the, and, and how ridiculous and, and how demonized they're making cannabis and things like that. And, and remember to this day, 
there is not a single recorded death in America from cannabis. Just let alone back then, still to this day. It is quite... It would be laughable if if the repercussions haven't been so utterly fatal yeah. for so many people who have been criminalised uh, as, as a result of these legislations. But yeah, those films are, are ridiculous. Also focusing quite a lot on themes that you would have found in Birth of a Nation. You know, yeah. all a white woman's being corrupted by uh, a black man. This time he's got a trumpet in his hand. Yeah. Uh, but r- rather than a than a pitchfork. Yeah. But we're we're still talking about this idea of, oh, if, if your white daughters and your white women get involved with black men, then yeah. they will be infected by drugs and the cult... And essentially the culture of African-Americans... And therefore, yeah. they will go to ruin and and become prostitutes it's, or sex workers. They're 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 they're, they're still painting African Americans as, as savages, essentially. Mm. Absolutely, savages with an obsession with 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 white women as well. Which yeah. I just again, I find really, yeah, it's just it's just ridiculous, isn't it? So yeah, yeah. those films echoing kind of some yeah. of that uh, early southern yeah, propaganda. Very segregationist, um, mm. but yeah. So, so we've got up to the point where hippies were coming through uh, towards the end of the sixties. Um, enough, enough hippies uh, and high-profile uh, white folks are smoking cannabis, and it starts to get declassified. But I do think there's an interesting point to be made about about the hippie culture um, adopting cannabis use, because I think you could pinpoint perhaps you know the idea and there's an idea that's still pervasive today that cannabis is uh uh just as dangerous for you as any other drug Mm -hmm. and i wonder if maybe that started here because you often when you think of it 60s hippie counterculture you think of cannabis, mushrooms, and LSD all as one kind of thing. Yeah. Now, now remember, cannabis isn't a psychedelic. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a depressant, so it's yeah, it's fundamentally not the same. The makeup of it as a as a psychoactive drug is not the same. Um, but yet culturally, it's being used in and amongst those other things. And I wonder, although as you say, there is a move to start declassifying it. I wonder if that today's vision and continued demonization of it is is linked to these cultural historical ideas being mentioned in the same being sentence. mentioned in the same sentence and i think you know a lot of people um get this thing about cannabis that it's somehow psych- psychedelic or, or hallucinogenic and you see tv shows and films uh, especially those skewed to kind of younger audiences um, where they show people high and they're yeah. having very hallucinogenic trips. I mean, that's yeah, not and White Rabbit comes on and they... And, and it's very odd that that is a kind of, yeah, a, a repeated trope. And I'd never thought about this idea that because you're mentioning it in the same sentence alongside these other things, yeah, that it gets co-opted in that way. There's something interesting actually about... Um, university mm. uh that we'll, we'll talk about a little later when i can remember to oaksterdam oaksterdam it sounds like i'm saying it wrong it's right oaksterdam yeah. uh university you've done a lot of research in this talk about actually how the association of cannabis and the repetition of cannabis alongside other things builds a public perception yeah 
Uh, we know that works in propaganda as well. So that's interesting mm. when you think about the fact that the, the start, you know, the, the wind change of cannabis becoming slightly more socially acceptable. And, yeah. you know, uh, Paul McCartney talking about it. Yeah. Uh, my mum being in the 60s, uh, being offered a joint and mm -hmm. she always says, oh, well, you know, I took a puff, but apparently I didn't take it back properly. And um, <laughs> so I don't know if that really counts. No, I think that's the Bill Clinton uh, line, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't inhale, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, it was everywhere and it was very commonplace. Um, so you have that, but it also might have led to that uh, further demonization because it didn't really start. It didn't really last very long. Yeah. This cultural acceptance of cannabis being in the 60s didn't carry through to today. No. Because along comes Nixon in 1970 and legislation takes place and passes in 71, yeah. which starts the war on drugs. Yeah. So everyone who knows the phrase war on drugs, you know, you'll all be familiar with it. Not everyone will be familiar with the fact that it was specifically uh, a campaign led yeah. by Nixon. Yeah. Um, and cannabis is banned outright yeah. uh, across the country. Now, this at this point, so it's had like a couple of years of being kind of socially acceptable in the media, but in America, it's now in the same classification as heroin. This goes alongside the uh, kind of invention of the DEA, yeah, um, which is the Drug Enforcement Force Agency. Agency yeah. Who, um, if you ever watched a lot of Breaking Bad, you'll know all about the DEA. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, they're a, they're a law enforcement agency uh, funded very very heavily, very wealthy organization um to target specifically drugs yeah and cannabis seems to be like the fact that it's it's heroin and and cocaine and cannabis yeah. Yeah. is just bizarre to me like yeah how can you equate heroin with as you say a plant yeah. that has never killed anyone in the history of recorded time yeah well now we go into um yeah, we go we go into a pretty kind of depressing, um, a dark place, a dark part of the history, um, and and we have to talk about something that's 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 really really problematic, um, which is the fact that essentially, from the seventies, well, it had kind of already been happening, but certainly Nixon, certainly Reagan pushed this, um, and and it's been getting worse and worse, really um in america is is essentially the idea that in america prisons are a business mm -hmm. prisons exist to make money and the easiest way they can make money is by arresting as many people as possible the easiest way they can find people to arrest is to go into poor largely black neighborhoods in cities and arrest people for the narcotics they have on them because it's cheap and because it's more widely used than any other drug, the likelihood is that's going to be cannabis. And why is it more widely used in any community across the world uh, than heroin or cocaine? Perhaps because it doesn't kill you. Yeah. And you yeah. can function quite well, yeah. uh, even regularly using cannabis, as long as you're not abusing it like anything. Yeah. Uh, it's it's something that, you know, is, is less dangerous than alcohol, for example. Yeah. But yeah, it seems to have been a targeted uh, attack on we need to arrest people for our business, yeah. right? So yeah. let's find something that not only a lot of people have, but also is something that's going to affect an already marginalised, minoritised group who was yeah. still reeling from the shackles of slavery. Yeah. Because they will be uh, less 
there'll be less of an objection, right? Yeah. And and just to be really clear, what we're saying, because this is the truth of the matter, is that prisons in America will be gi- be given more money from their state or their county the more prisoners they have. Yeah. That's what we mean when we say it's a business. So they are recruiting prisoners in order to get more money from the state. It's yeah. a completely capitalistic exercise and you're you're using people's lives. Uh, and for ex- also worth remembering that um, often you hear in the UK narratives of, oh gosh, you know, privatisation might be a bad thing or some people saying <clears throat> oh, privatisation is a good thing. In America, privatisation has been the norm and the only thing. Yeah. Uh, so when we talk about prisons, if you're a UK listener, you might be thinking, oh, well, that that's a state-funded thing, right? Yeah. Well, no, it's not. If you look at, uh, we were looking at a lot at um, a case in Louisiana yeah. because of their particular laws that really highlight this uh, system. Um, the prison's called Louisiana Prison Enterprise. That's the name yeah. of the company that runs the prison, right? Yeah. And in the UK now, you're starting to see the same thing with uh, both our prisons, uh, criminal justice system, and also the National Health Service, yeah. uh, which is a very hot topic um, with those who are politically minded. But this is a kind of a standard. So, yeah, you're right. They're making huge amounts of money yeah. just by having prisoners. Also, prisoners work in, yeah. pr- in prison, both in the UK and uh, but hugely in America. Yeah. Um, but get paid like 10 cents on the dollar. Yeah. Um, it's where the majority of license plates in America are made. Right. Uh, in prisons. So if you're driving a car in the yeah. States, chances are, you know. Yeah. Actually, I, I know that um, there are quite a lot of sanitary products in the UK that are made uh, uh, by by prisoners as well. Majority yeah. of like Tampax products mm. are made by, by prisoners. Um, it's odd that you walk around your house as myself i'm yeah. a left-wing leading liberal and if you're not reading the back of or, or even looking up the origin of these things mm-hmm. and doing your research chances are you've got some prison labor and i you've, say you've got a lot of tampax haven't you as well I do, yeah of course yeah, I do, yeah always uh I have, I have a stock um i think it's important it's important yeah. to carry it around um so you have this but you also i say prison labor short of slave labor for the point for the yeah. sake of of semantics really but when you're talking about pennies per hour and that is illegal in the rest of the the world like in the, the, yep. the, in the rest of the uk and america the yep. two worlds that we're talking about why is that acceptable for someone to be earning a penny you know a couple yep. of pennies an hour in a prison in either the us or the uk when yep. we're countries that slam politically yep. Uh, China or or uh, India yeah. for paying you know 30 40 p an hour to people who aren't incarcerated I don't know where this logic comes from if you're incarcerated you're less of a human than anyone else yeah I will never quite get over that no like what no B- because of I mean that's that's assuming that everyone who's gone to prison has done something that everyone morally disagrees with which of course doesn't happen because you know yeah. everyone has an opinion and, and, and there are different things that but now we're talking about an unprecedented amount of people being targeted, people of colour, yeah. black people, Hispanics, Mexicans, uh, Latinx people, who are being targeted for doing something that they have culturally been doing for years and years and years. Yeah. And it's harmed no one and literally killed no one. And instead of allowing that to be the case, we're banning it across all 50 states in America and incarcerating people in jail mm-hmm. 
in order to make money off them. Yeah. That's literally what Nixon's campaign was. Yeah. It was a very, just in case you're kind of thinking, oh, well, boys, you're putting your leftist skew on this. This is all a bit kind of uh, much. If you look at um, the the Watergate, if you listen to, mm. rather, the Watergate tapes that obviously were exposed years later. Yeah. Um, you have uh, Nixon's uh, advisor, uh, John uh, en- Enrichman. Mm-hmm. I might be saying that wrong. Or Earl- Ehrlichman. I can't yeah. remember. It's one of the two. My handwriting's bad. Um, and he says quite candidly, oh, yeah, the, the reason why we made weed a political issue was uh, a tool for racism. It was a way of dividing uh, up what was becoming a multicultural nation post-Jim Crow laws, post-counterculture movement of the 60s, and we needed a way to marginalise and demonise. Yeah, uh, we we couldn't make it illegal to be against the war or to be black. Right. That's the quote. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the fact that that is a quote... Yep. It just is. It's, it's mind-boggling mm-hmm. um, that that you know that Nixon is still held as a hero to some people. Yeah, this is horrendous. Um, but also, yeah, you, you say you know, oh, boys being lefty liberals, but but it, it's also it's important to know it's not necessarily a down that political line because, for example, Jimmy Carter. Um, continued the war on drugs you know gerald ford did jimmy yeah. carter did reagan did and you know jimmy carter i think maybe other than maybe fdr the most socialist president that um mm. america ever had yeah um and and uh, and actually also uh clinton was dreadful uh for yep. this on this particular issue and uh i think biden actually passed a a bill i'm glad you mentioned that because i want to talk about this because it's one of the most horrific things in american criminal uh law which is the three strikes rule which is a a a horrific law because it means that literally you um as an american could be stopped uh like three times for carrying what, what did that guy say? Five dollars worth of weed, right? You get stopped three times. On that third time, you could theoretically be sent to prison for life. It's an it's an automatic twenty five year sentence. It's an automatic it? twenty five year sentence, which, which is what they call uh, yeah, life. Right? life. I think we call it here as well. Um, and uh, that was a law that was written by President Elect Joe Biden. Um, so those of you that are out there celebrating i mean yes he's absolutely a lot better than trump but um you know don't stop fighting because there's a lot of work to do he yes he he is not a you know progressive uh democratic socialist by any means not remotely left wing no um so we have the start of this culture that as you say has been uh continued by pretty much every president I think the only president who hasn't done anything to make it worse is Obama, but he also didn't do anything to yeah. make it better. Yeah. So we have the start of this government-sanctioned sponsorship of the uh, arrest and incarceration of mainly uh, black folk. Now, when I say mainly black folk, nearly 50% of all arrests in the US are for marijuana. 50% of all arrests are for, for, the, for the carrying of marijuana. 80 to 85% of those arrests are black and Latinx people. Yeah. That's yeah. an insane percentage. 
and that is i believe 36 percent of the population of america i mean so yeah you tell me there's not a, a problem with with you know racism mm-hmm. within institutionalized racism within police force yeah uh this is i mean you you just can't say that can you because no. of what we've just said yeah. now so yeah, need to look, at, look at the percentages and yeah it's it just the numbers you. um it's also really important to point out as well that you also have to keep in the back of your minds one of the reasons of course why it's very very difficult for america to uh uh legalize weed is because of all of the um really beneficial and and widely um researched and proved health benefits of cannabis as an alternative medicine if that is then legalized who is going to suffer is it pfizer is it big pharmaceutical big pharma, right yeah right and again this is just another example of 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 how of what a grip uh, big Pharma has on America and, and I think maybe the biggest grip of, of, of all the big industries because you're starting to see you know the past 20 years 30 years the, the death of the automobile industry in America you're starting to see with rising tensions in the Middle East the oil industry is, doesn't have and also the fact that oil reserves are running out the, 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 the power there um, is slipping but Big Pharma still have their their claws in i mean look who were the first people that came up with the coronavirus vaccine yeah it's you know not putting any conspiracies out there but you know pfizer these people they are so powerful and they are and that they are fully funding um um local national federal elections in the usa and they are lobbying and they will fight tooth and nail before there's a federal legalization of cannabis because they will see their profit margin shrink. Now, some people might be going, oh, well, yes, but surely that's because cannabis is has been demonized and a lot of scientists and doctors don't take it seriously and they're not being open-minded enough to uh, the medical benefits of mm-hmm. cannabis, right? Um, but then you look at the fact that in medical journals... There have been more citations of cannabis in medical journals than any other drug, than Tylenol, than paracetamol, than aspirin, than any other drug. Yet all of those drugs go largely unregulated, are prescribed at huge levels. Now, I want to talk a little bit now about um, oxytocin. Mm. Sorry, Oxycontin. Oxycontin. Oxytocin's the uh, hormone. Yeah, it is. Is it a love hormone? Yeah, yes. There's a lot of oxytocin in the room. Um... But OxyContin is absolutely as dangerous and um, and not just in theory, but in practice, uh, as we've seen in the US, as crack cocaine yep. and largely replaced crack, crack, crack cocaine as a result of the war on drugs and the way in which it was made readily available yep. to crack addicts um, throughout the US. And we've seen so many of those uh, issues. In fact, there's a great Netflix documentary looking at uh, the father um, of uh, a young boy who who died of crack cocaine and mm. then made it his life's mission to try and raise awareness for the dangers of OxyContin yeah. in the US. So, so it's not to do with uh, a lack of awareness or a no. lack of open-mindedness. The medical uh, industry, the medical community, and farm big pharma know very, very well just how effective cannabis can be medically. Um, there are lots of things cannabis is known mm. to help with, but I think we should mention a couple of them 
Yeah. Um, I was very moved uh, when looking at the effects, uh, as some of you may be aware, of cannabis um, on uh, epilepsy. Yeah, epilepsy and other kind of uh, seizure-based conditions. Um, I can't remember the specific condition this uh, young boy had, but he, but essentially his mum said it, it was a very extreme form of epilepsy where he could have uh, tens or possibly even hundreds mm-hmm. of seizures in, in a day um, which is just unfathomable and they actually had home footage which was yeah very powerful and very moving and they actually captured in real time how quickly uh, CBD oil, cannabis oil mm-hmm. which comes of course from the cannabis plant um, uh, how, how quickly it it had the effect uh, on the young boy. Um, and it was instant. He instantly stopped fitting in the middle of the fit. Um, but because these amazing. state laws, even to this day, in particular parts of the country, uh, of the US, are very, very stringent still, mm-hmm. they had to move to Colorado. Colorado has been famous for being the first state to legalise cannabis. Yeah. Um, and have kind of weirdly held on to that. Um and it's been kind of is kind of known as a bit of a stoner mm-hmm. state, although we might think of kind of California and yeah. actually Colorado is much more progressive. It was the first one, yeah. Um, I think in seventy five, I think mm. something like that, it started relaxing its laws, not fully legal. But... Yeah, no, I think it was only a few years ago they legalized it. I remember it being on the news? Um, yeah, four or five years ago, maybe I think it was. So um... a lot of states have followed since then. Yeah, um... yeah, I think seven now. But yeah, all the obvious ones, all the obvious ones, California, Oregon, Washington, all, all the West Coast are yeah. so liberal. Um, but the parents of this boy were living in a state where it wasn't legal and had to move to Colorado yeah. in order to get CBD oil for their dying child. Yeah. And the realisation that you, you can live in, you know, the greatest country in the world and, and you can't get proven medical treatment because of... Uh, Harry Anslinger and William Hurst being racists. Like, mm-hmm. that's why you can't save your kid because someone else has got a prerogative about jailing and making money out of black people in a modernised, institutionalised, modern form of slavery. Yeah. Because they because it was too unpopular to have actual slavery. Like, yeah. And this is being enforced by Nixon, Carter, Bush, Clinton, Biden. Yeah. Like, all the major political figures. That's that's also why your white kid can't even get medical. They would rather yeah. that. Like that seems bizarre to me as well. We should just say um, <laughs> um, to explain for those of you who don't know. So so weed cannabis that you smoke has has two properties. Uh, it has CBD and it has THC. Uh, C- CBD is the thing that kind of relaxes you, um, and it's it's the property that yeah sort of chills you out. And THC is the psychoactive property. That's the thing that gets you high. Mm-hmm. Um, now, in this country now, as a few years ago, they have legalized any CBD products, um, which is great for for uh, I mean your your um, <clears throat> pardon me blood pressure metabolism yeah uh, slowing down your heart rate in general yeah um, anxiety anxiety depression um, yeah um, I I uh, for the last fifteen years have uh, had suffered from psoriasis and it really helps that I mm-hmm. was taking CBD off for quite I need to get some more actually but um. Uh, but it also does help as, as well as help with things like that. It does help with your general kind of mood. And mm. when I was taking it, it really chilled, just just chilled me out. I remember people being like, oh, does it get you high? No, because it's not got any THC in it. Yeah. Um, it's it's absolutely um, uh, 
for anyone that's worried about that aspect of it um it's it's completely fine and safe to take it doesn't alter your reality or mm-hmm. in any way it just um it's it's yeah it's 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 you know the opposite effect of drinking a red bull it's like having a chamomile tea or something yeah. you know but but uh the effects last a little bit longer um a uh, horrible 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 taste um but uh <laughs> it's it's worth it um it is yeah um really good but so i just wanted to point out that in this country we were talking about uk laws um and that it's yeah it's important to mention that now in this country you can get hemp and you can get cannabis oil and you can get lots of cannabis byproducts um as long as there's notice the thc that is class b yeah um and so that and after many lots of campaigning uh mainly from from uh the parents of children who suffer from these kind of you know life-threatening uh and life-diminishing uh conditions and illnesses exactly yeah but you have this extreme kind of anti-cannabis rhetoric still being driven and whilst whilst young uh black folks are being imprisoned for being caught with a joint on them now i just want to be clear you can be arrested for uh a misdemeanor that's unrelated to cannabis yeah then be uh stopped for a busted taillight and then get caught with a joint in your pocket yeah and you can yeah. get a minimum of five years a maximum yeah. of 25 years yeah but your state minimum your national your minimum yeah for having a joint in your pocket at that point is is five years yeah which is an incredibly large amount of time for something yeah so seemingly uh, 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 impotent actually yeah. like the opposite of how potent it's it's kind of being portrayed in the media um but i want to kind of bring this parallel back to the fact that cannabis is hugely part of American culture in terms of jazz, in terms of beat poetry, in terms of counterculture, um, and in terms of medical benefits. So it has a long history of producing lots of things that America now, flashing forward to 70s and 80s, um, are are being celebrated. So you've got a Reagan going, ah, yeah, great, it's all fine, we're all multicultural now. But Reagan then takes what Nixon started and makes it a hell of a lot worse. And Nancy... Uh, starts her say no to drugs campaign yeah while this is happening there's another form of black music that is bubbling up Mm -hmm. through american culture Mm -hmm. and this is hip-hop yeah yeah um and a young uh fab freddy five who grew up uh as he says you know listening to his father and other jazz musicians uh have scintillating uh debates uh often fueled by um by reefer as he says um, now he's having the same conversations with his contemporaries, but this time it's about taking uh, taking music another step forward in history. Yeah, and 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 I think it's important to note that that um, that was a kind of change within the hip hop industry that was spearheaded by Snoop Dogg, Redman, Method Man, Cypress Hill. Yeah. Um, because there was pre that um purely because of the areas where hip-hop was coming out of the predominant drug within the hip-hop culture would have been crack and cocaine Mm -hmm. um at that point and um snoop Dogg actually talks about the fact that he was a coke dealer in Mm -hmm. south central you know as a young as a young kid and seeing how many people died from that drug saying that no don't do that do that do this one yeah um and and really starts being a massive proponent of cannabis from that from that point onwards um uh and and i believe i read actually somewhere that he's never 
himself actually taken any other drug other than cannabis, Snoop Dogg. Um, wow, yeah. Which you think about this massive kind of music star, hedonistic lifestyle. But apparently, no, com- completely um, ne- never done a class A in his life, I believe. Um, yeah, and doesn't drink, I don't think. No, um, no, no, he's, he's, he's purely, um, purely uh, cannabis, yeah. So you have this, this hip-hop kind of culture exploding, and this time they're not just commenting on the cannabis use in their communities, but they're also commenting on the huge drug problems that have mm-hmm. been brought about mm-hmm. by... Yes, Nixon's conservatism, but also mainly Reagan's fiscal policies, yeah. right? Because you have Reagan decimating jobs, healthcare, education, social care, and decimating all all mm-hmm. Ameri- all kind of American uh, areas where there was. If anyone was slightly down on their luck, they would definitely yeah. they would definitely kick the boot in by Reagan yeah. at this point, right? We had a similar thing in terms of the monetarism. Uh, adopted uh, from Reagan by Thatcher in his country yeah. that saw industry turn thousands of um, working class people out onto the streets. Um, and in that decimation, crack cocaine filled yeah. void for many people. Yeah. So you have a lot of hip hop uh, artists rapping about crack cocaine and saying, actually, this is a problem. Yeah. And Snoop Dogg saying, yeah, it is actually, you should, I'm going to advocate the yeah. use of cannabis. I'm going to demonise the use of crack cocaine. And yeah. so so you have a narrative also being peddled right, where as hip hop's coming up, it's being demonised as a form of music, yeah. as a terrible thing. Don't let your white kids listen to this awful mm-hmm. black music mm-hmm. because it's going to tell them all about drugs. Yeah. When actually... Uh, it's telling them all the bad things about these drugs and how they can steer clear of it. Yeah. Which is also almost exactly history repeating itself and exactly what was happening in uh, the 30s and 40s and 50s. Yeah. I think there's also a really interesting um, thing that that hip-hop culture in the 90s, uh, into early noughties, um, led by people like Snoop Dogg, Dr. Dre, was um, in in how they pushed... uh, cannabis into the mainstream in in that push to kind of try and deregulate it and and, and to, to, to re-regulate it rather and, and legalize it um was actually kind of commercializing the idea of cannabis i mean if you look at the uh cover of 2001 by dr dre it's a cannabis leaf it's yeah. a black uh blank background with just one cannabis leaf in the middle and that's that's the album and and you saw t-shirts with that image coming out and it was really hip-hop culture in the 90s that started peddling that the 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 use of the cannabis leaf as as something marketable as as a fashion statement as a label yeah it was everywhere that suddenly it's it's coming out of the counterculture and out of the fringes and very much into the commercialized mainstream um and, yeah. and as Snoop Dogg uh, talks about on Grass is Greener, he talks to Fab uh, Freddy Five about the fact that actually the name Chronic comes mm. from uh, a hybrid yeah. uh, of sativa that uh, they were smoking a lot in, in LA at the time. And he was like, actually, this is the, the kind of the new hot thing on the street right now that people are really enjoying. This is your music people are going to love as well. So, yeah. so uh, Chronic, you know, being an iconic album, probably not as iconic as 2001, but yeah, still, yeah, yeah. you know, one. Well, it's his debut. It's Dre's debut. So yeah, two yeah. hugely life-changing yeah. or culture-changing albums. Yeah. Um, and yeah, mm. named after um, yeah. 
after a street drug as well. And I'm, and I mean, I don't think you can talk about um, any any more. Of I mean, uh, what's that thing in? Um, <laughs> I think it's in The Simpsons where uh, Bart joins the Navy and they talk about subliminal, liminal, and superliminal messaging. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think you can get any more superliminal than on 2001, where you just at the end of a song have Nate Dog come in and go smoke weed every day. Like, <laughs> yeah. okay, it's an order, right? You know, I, okay. I, um, very clear what their messaging was there. Um, but I met Nate Dog's cousin. Did you? I met Nate Dog's cousin. That's why have you never told me this story? I met Nate Dog's cousin at about one a.m. Uh, in a um, petrol station, uh, gas station uh, in uh, downtown Los Angeles. Are you sure it was him? Yeah, he had pictures of like when they like hung out, and he knew Snoop Dogg. He was yeah, he oh, was he okay, was from yeah. um, from Inglewood and all around there, and yeah, it was yeah. No, it's hard for to hear the word Inglewood without hearing Inglewood. Inglewood. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so as yeah, Snoop Dogg kind of talks about it. Actually, he says, you know, if you want to talk about the war on drugs, hip hop has done more to uh, campaigning against uh, against illegal drugs in terms of damaging drugs, in terms of crack cocaine, in terms of heroin, in terms of speed, in terms of or amphetamines in general, uh, than than any other government, US, uh, you know. Um, initiative ever mm. has and you know it's hard to argue with because the US government has never done anything that's been successful in a war on drugs yeah. uh, it's only ever um, created space for uh, kind of criminal underworlds to come into play which often involve things like crack cocaine and at the same time were whilst giving these uh, kind of huge sentences out to young black folks you've got to remember that also cocaine is the drug of the 80s right yeah cocaine is not criminalized in the same way that crack cocaine is no cocaine is much more expensive and more commonly used by rich wealthy americans now as we've talked a little bit about the structural race of america if you're a rich wealthy american working on wall street for example you're much more likely to be white Mm -hmm. and so you see much lighter sentences for high-class cocaine charges. For example, you have two and a half million people imprisoned for marijuana during the 80s, whilst you had kind of rehab programs and uh, kind of second-chance systems being set up for white corporate cocaine users. Yeah. And this is absolutely barefaced, openly happening and being pushed by uh, Reagan's policies and Nancy Reagan's campaigning. Yeah, I I can't believe that this is this this was just accepted by everyone, and at the same time demonising hip hop, which is doing the exact thing that the government claims to be or should be doing. Yeah, um, it, 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 it's completely nonsensical. Um, but yeah, completely echoing that parallel to the jazz uh, era. Um, I also just want to talk a little bit. We've talked a lot about lots of the wonderful things that cannabis. Um, kind of it can do and how it's been lied about and demonized about but i wanted to talk a little bit about also mentioning chronic um and talking about sativa being like the most popular kind of southern californian Mm -hmm. strain you also had skunk coming out at the Mm -hmm. same kind of in in the mid 90s uh in the noughties and skunk being uh across a hybrid between sativa and another one Indica. indica there you are um and skunk gets talked about a lot as being slightly more dangerous. Mm-hmm. 
it's normally always uh, grown under UV lights. It's very quickly produced um, and tends to have a higher percentage of THC. Mm. Now, UK governments have reported in the past up to 15% THC in skunk compared to a 4% for, uh, mm-hmm. uh, sorry, a 1% uh, THC in a, a normal uh, standard amount of cannabis. That's also not true. It's a lie. Mm-hmm. It's normally about four times the amount. So yeah. skunk might be 4% THC mm-hmm. rather than 1%. Um, and there's also been a lot of narrative around uh, skunk producing higher rates of paranoia uh, schizophrenia and psychosis which is a word that everyone seems to be using at the moment around cannabis I don't yeah. know if you're finding that as well yeah um and I think I just want to talk a little bit about my own experiences as someone who smoked an awful lot of skunk for about three years when I was 13 to 16 uh as I've mentioned before roughly the same amount of time I was a born again Christian yeah um, interesting, right? if, interesting uh link but I smoked it quite religiously on the way to school, <laughs> break times at lunch lines. I was not even on purpose. Uh, bad punnage. Uh, on the way home from school and then in the evenings. And we were constantly just passing around joints. That was kind of my escape. And as you say, it is a depressive. I was quite a typical grumpy teenager. Uh, it did introduce me to people like Dr. Dre and D12 um, and Eminem, obviously. But kind of, I think Eminem, Eminem, Eminem hit me before D12, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. oddly enough. Um, and and I enjoyed kind of learning a lot about it, but essentially I I had to quit it because it was really damaging my motivation. It wasn't helping me get out of any depression, um, and I I found it quite difficult to quit as well. And growing up around those narratives of well, it's a gateway drug, it's going to get you into a lot of trouble. Um, don't don't do it. It's bad. It might it will send you into a psychotic psychosis. None of that happened for me at all. It has happened to other people I know in terms of uh, it being addictive, people becoming, becoming a bit dependent on it, um, paranoia setting in, uh, lack of motivation in areas. But I also would like to say that as someone who quit cannabis and then moved on to alcohol and now as a recovering uh, addict don't drink alcohol, I would say the one connection between my abuse of cannabis and my abuse of alcohol was that my... Uh, Abusive cannabis was easier to stop and uh, less damaging. And also that alcohol didn't introduce me into a world of heroin being uh, introduced around bars or crack cocaine. Whereas the criminality surrounding cannabis, even in the UK as a teenager, meant that other drugs were around. And so when people talk about cannabis as a gateway drug, there are no statistics to support that, right? But I will say that one of the problems with criminalizing drugs like this and not reg- and any drugs actually mm-hmm. and not regulating them is that you create vacuums and bubbles for crime to come in. And that's when genuinely harmful things can enter people's lives. Um, and so I have kind of mixed feelings about um, about drugs and alcohol in the sense that I think they're great. Like I, cannabis and, and and red wine, two of my favorite things in my life that I kind of steer clear of now for good reasons. But the reasons why those things have happened have a lot more to do with my relationship with substances and my addictive personality than the demonization of an inanimate plant or mm-hmm. you know the way al- uh, alcohol is culturally kind of uh, accepted and, and pushed on young people yeah. without any kind of regard for that. 
the reason why this narrative exists, let's just remind ourselves, is in order to make corporate people huge amounts of money, demonizing, minoritizing and dividing, uh, racially dividing huge swathes of America and modernizing the slavery of uh, black folk, Latinx and people of color in America. Like that's why those yeah. narratives exist. Yeah. So I just wanted to kind of, in the interest of balance, talk a little bit about the fact that we're not saying this advocating kind of the well, no, no, but, but, complete but, deregulation of everything. I, but, but also I think it's important to highlight the fact of, of the age period that you said that you were smoking, which was mm. 13 to 16, which is when your brain is going to be in development. And right. I don't think anyone in the world is expecting if if uh, cannabis was legalised in the UK that there wouldn't be an age limit, that you just go, oh yeah, no, no, give your eight-year-old a joint. Like that's no, not going to be the That's case, not good, right? Yeah. yeah. But that's the same case. Anything, you wouldn't give an eight-year-old an espresso every morning. Like... Like if your brain is developing, any any kind of of um, altering substance, be that coffee, be that cannabis, that is is going to have a more detrimental effect than when your brain's fully formed. And I, I think that's that's an important distinction to make um, as well. Um, and also not, the abuse of of anything. Exactly. Yeah, I was going to say not notwithstanding, it, I, I, yeah. as, as you do, I know, I know. Um, adults that have that have become over, overly dependent on cannabis and 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 you see uh you see with with certain people i think a journey of when you can see that it's it's really helping and then it goes back down the other way and then there's, and then a dependency happens and then that's when yeah kind of paranoia and those those elements that that that, that are true of thc um um do you come in but but tends to be pretty heavily overuse you know like if you smoke a hundred cigarettes a day you're probably not going to see 50 like it's mm -hmm. it, you know it, uh, and that's a whole other story about the ridiculous i mean that's a whole other podcast about the ridiculousness of the fact that alcohol and tobacco can be legalized and cannabis can't yeah when the deaths that are placed on both of those things um are just it's, huge. it's yeah it's 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 a nonsense but then but then then you talk about um you talk about the alcohol industry and you talk about big tobacco as well um and and the power of those companies and and, and the mendacity of the u.s government and uk government on both those issues but what you are seeing now uh to bring us into the present day yeah in america is a shift again and you are seeing uh, recreational cannabis legalized in California you now have cannabis shops much like you do in Amsterdam where you can go up and you can literally buy an, an eighth of weed to go and smoke yourself mm -hmm. uh, completely legally um, as long as yeah you're not a certain amount by a school or, or you know certain caveats obviously um, but generally speaking you know you can have up to a certain amount yourself um, I think it's a uh, uh, Basically, I don't know what the amount is, but there's a, there's a cutoff where it's not intent to sell. I think it's over two plants. Right. Two, over you're two allowed plant, two plants. Yeah, two worth. plants and a certain. I don't know if it was an ounce or two ounces, or, or but um, yeah, a, uh, uh, a certain amount of uh, of cannabis on your person, and they can't do anything about that's legalized, uh, which is great, but it's also uh uh and again some of you are going to get annoyed at us and think we're just sjws all the time but it's true and it's important and we have to reiterate this mm -hmm. the reasons that this has happened is because white people have pushed it to happen yeah that and that is the that is the fact and that is and that is why and yes while it is great that 
um, uh, uh, cannabis is being legalized and is more widely available, like for people like that young boy with, with epilepsy or other people that it could be really useful for. Um, and just for the sheer fact that it's easier to regulate, it's easier to keep safe. It means that you're not buying it and it's going to be cut with rat poison or anything else like mm -hmm. that. Um, but does any of that solve the problem of systemic racism within the police force, uh, the commercialization and capitalization of uh, prisons, um, uh, criminal um, justice reform, any of those things that need to happen unfortunately the legalization of cannabis doesn't do any of those things and all of those things are a much bigger problem than cannabis itself being illegal so yes we can celebrate how lovely and left and liberal these states are that are doing this but that's still do things that are really only benefiting largely white affluent urban middle class people in those societies that and i mean you know you saw in that um in uh i think it was the second documentary we watched about it where they Canacom. showed yeah and they showed some of these cannabis shops in hollywood and and you know it's like going into a shoreditch coffee shop i mean it's, oh, yeah. it's <laughs> very clear who these are marketed at and and that's not gonna help the big problem in america which as we know from this summer and from the last couple of centuries is systemic racism absolutely right and and I think one of the reasons why uh, this is being pushed by white people in terms of the legalities are because white people are going, okay, we can benefit from this. But surely black folk can as well, right? Mm. And uh, historically marginalised users of, of, of cannabis should be able to take advantage of, of this as well. There are also huge barriers in the way. Um, one of those barriers, and probably the most obvious one, is... A huge economic barrier for example if you want a license to sell cannabis and you live in the state of new york you need to have two hundred thousand dollars liquid cash in your bank account that can't be in the form of a house or an investment or a loan that has to be liquid cash that you have in your bank account if you have been completely minoritized over the last 200 years pushed towards modern slavery by racist laws backed up by president after president after the president then it's gonna be you're gonna be less likely to have two hundred thousand dollars of liquid cash in your account in the state of New York, one of the most expensive cities in the world. As a result, the type of people who are benefiting from these legalization of cannabis businesses and cannabis entrepreneurs, as as they kind of tend to be called, are rich white folk who have already had money anyway. And once that market gets taken over and monopolized, it makes it very difficult for someone like Branson, for example, who uh, is a famous uh, weed dealer in, in uh, New York. Yeah. Uh, uh, mentioned in over 70 different hip hop tracks. I mean, it's got to be the most famous weed dealer in the yeah. world, right? Um, who, you know, is someone who's talking about the fact that he's been doing this for years and is famous for being one of the best dealers, right? Um, couldn't get Couldn't get this kind of kind of help when he when he needed it has still been criminalized his whole life has still been watching looking over his shoulder and there are lots of young folk who aren't able to do that and there are some incredible uh young um cannabis entrepreneurs who i say young actually probably not that young i think i'm just getting older uh who have dropped out of uh, their careers as engineers um and gone into uh kind of manufacturing of cannabis in order to send a message of kind of representation and aspiration to other uh black folks who have grown up with a cannabis culture but have never been able to monetize it and looking at the way that actually that could be 
made more open to people who have historically been at the sharp end of an oppression that has utilized uh cannabis and utilized and, and racialized it would be really great i think um one uh lawmaker in new york was talking about the fact that reparations actually well you know we'll never see reparations uh in the states for slavery mm-hmm. uh at least not for people who have been on the sharp end of that racism. Yeah. You will for ex-slave owners. Yep. Uh, same with the UK and much of Europe. But what a great way to start a form of reparation in terms of not charging black folks $200,000 to have a license to sell something they might have been selling for 20 years yep. just because a rich white kid now wants to buy it. Yeah. Because when it comes down to it, that's what you're talking about, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that would be a really, really great initiative to see. And so I think if you are in America uh, listening to this, as some of you will be, and Canada obviously as well, um, and you're a user of cannabis and you want to go and support uh, your local businesses as they get off the ground, I would also encourage you to think twice about where you get your cannabis from. And are you getting it from someone who was just made the president of a company because they were the son or the nephew of someone who already had several businesses and is now cashing in on a cannabis industry or indeed a hemp industry just because we're running out of oil and we need another resource to tap? Uh, Maybe we can vote with uh, where we buy our cannabis from if you are that way inclined and you are listening in a country where that is legal, obviously. Yeah, um, absolutely. I, I think that's a, a really good message to end on, to be honest. Yeah. Um, um, so I would just like to say, um, if you are listening uh, in the UK, it's definitely illegal. Uh, cannabis yeah. is illegal. Yeah. It's a class B drug. Um, and we're not condoning uh, the breaking of any laws. No. Um, and my message is always is whatever your thing is, whatever your vice is, do it responsibly. Check your relationship with it on a regular basis. And if you're not having fun, you're not doing it right. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and I would just say, uh, just look in, look into this stuff, look into this stuff. Definitely watch Grass Is Greener. It's available on Netflix. Um, really, really, really good documentary. Um, I mean, watch it also for the musicology. It's just incredible yeah. history of of music as well. Um, but uh, and 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 you know, and and fight these things, especially if anyone listening's in America. You know, fight these things just just because, just because it's been legalized as we said doesn't mean that that fight is over and doesn't mean that the fight is over for a lot of marginalized people in that country and that's true all over the world as well um what a great subject thank you tristan yes thank you so much tristan um this has been fascinating to look into and and to get our teeth into and we hope you have all enjoyed it now uh next week we will be back with the final two episodes of crime traveler oh my goodness I yeah. think I might understand it now. Yeah. I, we'll see, actually, we'll, we'll, we'll see. see where we are by the end of the next, we'll see. The next episode. We'll see. Um, so, yes, please do uh, join us next week when we will be finishing off our crime traveller um, journey. Um, and then, of course, we will be moonlighting after that. Yeah. And uh, plenty more fun stuff coming up after that. Well, hopefully we'll now be back on a, uh, a bit more of a regular weekly thing now that we're all settled Uh into our apartment yeah, um, thanks for your patience absolutely thank you so much and as always if you want your very own podcast about anything you want i mean the criminalization of cannabis and a weird british mid-90s sci-fi show written by anthony horowitz <laughs> yeah. one week apart i mean this is what we mean guys literally anything you want we're versatile um the link as always is at the bottom 
uh, of the description. In the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, let us know what you think of this podcast, give us future podcasts to do, all that kind of good stuff, you can find us on Twitter at Macabre Podcaster. You can find us on Facebook, fb.me forward slash podcaster macabre. You can send us an email, podcastermacabre at gmail.com. And you can, of course, like, share, subscribe, and listen to this podcast, all our previous Jonathan Creek podcasts, all our previous Any Requests, on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and wherever you get your podcasts from. In the meantime, I have been Callum Hughes. I have been David Shopland. And we will see you next week. Cheers, guys. Thanks for listening. Let's with Mary Jane. One more time to kill the pain. I feel summer